Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. A team of microbiome experts conducted research and crunched the data to reveal four macro market trends to highlight major opportunities in supplement development for the year ahead. Joining me now is Hannah Ackerman, a registered dietitian and director of marketing and communications at Comet. Hi, Hannah, and welcome to the NutraCast. Hi, it's great to be here, Danielle. It's great to have you. So for those who don't know, can you tell us what Comet is and a little bit about your role there? So Comet is an ingredient manufacturer. We have a patented upcycling technology that enables us to create what we like to call nature's best dietary fiber and prebiotics on the market. We say that because our flagship product, Arabina, is not only has clinically backed to support the growth of the crucial strain bifidobacteria, but also can be used in a wide array of any food, beverage, supplement application. It's extremely pH and heat resistant, so it can survive and and not degrade in very acidic conditions and survive manufacturing processes such as pasteurization and retort. Um, What all of that means is if Arabino is in a product like Olipop, it wouldn't have to be in the refrigerated section of the grocery store. It would be shelf stable. Um, so we say we have a very unique product along with a very unique upcycling process that enables us to create it. It's interesting because when I first started at Nutri Ingredients USA, I interviewed somebody from Comet back when you guys were called Comet Bio. I want yes. to say in 2019 at Supply Side West and nobody else was doing the upcycling. Like that was the first time I heard about it. And now it feels like a lot. Everybody's kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, so we were one of the founding members of the Upcycled Food Association. And yeah, it's been great to see upcycling taking off. It's really consumer demand that's fueling part of it, especially as we'll get into these Gen Zs that are very sustainability focused. Um, Yeah, I think it's a really important movement for the food industry to figure out how can we take these side streams. You know, for us, it's crop leftovers, the wheat straw, corn husk um, that are already being left on the field. How can we extract nutrition from them? So instead of having to plant new acres to create ingredients, we can use what we already have in our food system. Yeah, definitely. And so you guys have this new report out. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how you gathered the information and sort of analyzed it to identify these trends. Yeah. yeah. So I attend the many of the leading microbiome conferences every year, including Probiota. Um, Holler. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that, that's a great way to, you know, really tap into it. For the more research-focused side, I attend ISAP. And then along with that, you know, I'm constantly looking at market research, what's going on along with the rest of my team. And then also a really important aspect is we listen to our customers and what are they seeing, what are they hearing. That really helps us drive where our insights and where we think our product can fit best. Yeah, so the first trend is interesting. It mentions that the success of Ozempic has opened the doors for product developers who can build complementary products to enhance and accelerate the impact of GLP-1 weight loss. Uh, Hannah, can you tell me how so? Definitely. So I have to put my nutrition hat on here for a minute. As a registered dietitian, Ozempic <laughs> and GLP-1-like drugs are definitely not what I think is the most effective solution to end the obesity 
epidemic we have in this country. That being said, we definitely do need solutions. And I understand why people are hungry for a product like this. So one thing these GLP-1 drugs do is they constantly signal to your brain that you're full. And by doing that, it's slowing down digestion, the way your body, you know, the peristalsis, the rippling GI that pushes contents throughout the gut and really disrupts the body's natural digestion process. In addition, by constantly signaling that you're full, people eat less. And one of the side effects of that is weight loss, but also muscle loss. So there's a big market opportunity for protein complementary products that can help people on Ozempic not lose as much muscle quickly. But what I think a bigger opportunity is to create Ozempic alternatives. And the microbiome is a great way to do this. Biotics products we know can tap into the same hormones like GLP-1 and help modulate them to give consumers these similar satiated fullness effects without all of these quite dangerous, with potentially dangerous side effects. Mm-hmm. Are there any examples that you can think of? Definitely. So prebiotic dietary fibers, especially soluble ones, are definitely a way to tap into this. Supergut is currently marketing their prebiotic fiber, saying that it boosts the same gut hormones affected by weight loss drugs, naturally reducing cravings. Biotics can help improve insulin responses and other metabolic responses. And I think as a microbiome industry, we really need to do a better job explaining this to consumers. A lot of consumers, one of the reasons they're turning to Ozempic is they're frustrated that they're not able to lose weight. They feel like there's no solution. This is why they're looking for such drastic things as medications. And, you know, part of it's right. It's really hard to lose weight long term. Most people are not successful at it, which one of the things GLP-1 has showed us is that maybe there's something just beyond willpower that does affect weight loss long term. It is something to do more with people's metabolism and body and biology. And this is where, you know, modulating the microbiome and feeding microbiome health could be a way to help these people that feel like there really is no solution just with diet exercise alone. They need something else. Something much deeper is going on with their body, which is why they're unable to lose this weight. Yeah. But how do you relay that message? I mean, it's such a complicated topic. So how do you simply explain it to consumers? I think tapping into metabolism is a good way. I don't have any specific statistics on this, but anyone that's struggled with losing weight, even even when they're doing diet and exercise, probably have realized that, you know, my body just isn't responding to this. My metabolism isn't what other people's is. And maybe that has to do with previous drastic weight loss steps they've taken in the past that's affected their metabolism. So I think just marketing it as we have a way using your microbiome to help better your metabolism. First starting there, and then if consumers are interested in more information, we can talk about how, you know, GLP-1 targets these specific hunger hormones. There are natural ways to do this using your microbiome. They feed the bacteria that then help create metabolites that also affect these hormones. And that last part with the metabolites is getting much more scientific, but mm-hmm. there are certain consumers that are educated enough to understand this messaging. Um, that's one of the great things about gut talk in different avenues. Consumers are getting much more educated on the microbiome and are some and a percent are able to understand some of this nuanced language. But if they're not yeah. just saying, you know, fiber in general has great benefits for staying full longer. I think a lot of consumers understand this. And then prebiotics go a step 
further and can effectively help reduce cravings between meals by affecting these GLP-1 type hormones, including peptide YY. That's a big one they found in research. What is it called? Peptide YY? Yes. So PYY um, is another crucial appetite decreasing hormone. When bacteria ferments prebiotics in the large intestine, it releases this hormone. And these smaller molecules can independently suppress appetite and are associated with lower body weight, improved glucose regulation. And because of this additional release of GLP-1 and PPY takes place hours after you eat a meal, it creates fullness for longer after the meal. Okay, good to know. I learned something new today. Yeah, and so, and it's important to note that not all fibers are equal and can provide these benefits. You really need to eat the prebiotic type of fibers or have prebiotics that bacteria can digest, i.e. fermentable prebiotic bacteria. All right, something to keep in mind there. Another piece to that trend that we were just talking about is the affordability and the accessibility factor. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that? Definitely. So new research is coming out showing that nearly 70% of GLP-1 drug users stop taking the medication after a year. This is partly to do to those digestive side effects I chatted about. You know, is it really good to stop your body's natural processes for that long? What's going to be the long-term effect on your digestive tract? Mm -hmm. uh, we're still seeing the effects of that. But also affordability is huge and supply. You know, not everyone has a thousand dollars a month to pay for these drugs. And, you know, until insurance companies adjust policies to cover them, it's just not going to be an alternative for the majority of Americans. Now, biotic supplements, we're, we have a really good opportunity here to be positioned as natural and cost effective ways to support metabolic health compared to GLP-1 drugs. They cost only a fraction of the medication. Yeah. So they cost us a fraction of the medication. They don't require a prescription. Are there any strains out there that positively affect metabolism? And if so, um, maybe some examples? Acromansia is the probiotic strain probably most positively associated with metabolism. Pendulum has done a great job marketing their product as showing this effect with clinical research. But other strains that help affect bifidobacteria also have positive metabolic effects on the body. You know, we're continuing to learn about how the gut microbiome affects systems all over the body, not just metabolism, and but also brain health. So it's, it's really interesting as we're continuing to learn more. I think we're going to figure out even deeper how other strains are positively affecting metabolism. Yeah. I think we've got a long ways to go, but I'm kind of excited where all this is going. There's a lot of great research out there and, it, you know, there's so much to yeah. get to be known. Yeah, we're really at the beginning of our microbiome knowledge as an industry. Every year I go to ISAP and different things. And at the end of the conference, there's more questions than answers at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that's really interesting is, you know, in rat studies and even human studies, when they do fecal transplants, transplant one person's, a healthy weight person's microbiome to another, there's positive weight loss effects right away, proving that, you know, there's something deeper going on here beyond uh -huh. biology and willpower that affects weight. And we're still as a research industry trying to figure that out, but I, I'm very optimistic about what the future will hold. I am too. And that is so interesting, those transplants. I think one one got approved for health insurance. C. diff? 
Yes, it was for C. diff. Yeah. Yeah. For, but I think yeah. that's it so far. Yeah. Yeah. For metabolism, we still have a long way to go. But yeah, I mean, even the C. diff fecal transplant research has been really great for our industry, just proving that, you know, this microbiome, it is scientifically backed and there is a lot of implications for health with it. Mm-hmm. And so another biotics opportunity mentioned in the, the trends report isn't about a strain or an outcome, but it's about a certain group of people. You kind of mentioned them already. Uh, talk to me about Gen Z. Yeah. So I'm lucky enough to work with three Gen Zs and I've learned a ton, not only new, for, new vernacular words like sus, um, but <laughs> also I feel like I've just gained a lot of insight into this generation because it really is different than millennials. Like Gen Zs in their 20s, I think partly because of the pandemic and just how they grew up are so much more health conscious than generations before them. And this is a crucial generation. By 2026, Gen Z will surpass millennials as the largest consumer base in the U.S., making it a group that supplement industry really needs to keep an eye on. Yeah. So it sounds like it's obviously important to engage with this age group. What are they looking for in their products? Yeah, that's a great question. So Gen Z grew up in a time where they always had Google. It's really interesting. Like I, as a millennial, it's almost kind of hard for me to fathom always having this amount of access to information and social media. And because of this, they become real digital natives and sleuths. They do a ton of research on products before they buy them, especially nutraceutical products. And they're not only doing this on Google, but they're also doing it on, on TikTok. Over half of Gen Z women prefer using TikTok as a search engine over Google. This is partly due to the fact that it's video format and just easier to listen to and view than having to scroll through Google pages, but also just the relatability and personalization of the results. Um, you know, we really as brands need to be thinking about how can we talk to this group on Gut Talk and be engaging with them and also engaging transparently with them. Gen Z expects much more transparency from brands. They expect to be able to find sourcing information, um, environmental impact information of products on company websites. They really wanna dig into products and make sure that the products aligns with their worldview. And they're also just so much more interested in health and wellness than other groups that there's such a prime opportunity for the supplement industry to really tap into and figure out how we can better market to this group. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, I love- we're going to be left behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that they're so young, but they're so impactful. I really think that this is one age group that's really just going to change the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's their goal, um, especially if you read the gut talk. I don't know if you've ever used TikTok, but gut talk on TikTok is huge. It's a, There's so many posts and just the level of information on the post and science is much deeper and more scientific than most consumer facing information. Um, they really want to understand things and are hungry for more information. It's just it's a great it's a great group for all of us to be doing a better job engaging with. Definitely. And yeah, it's always, I'm always impressed whenever I get on Gut Talk and kind of go through some of the comments and discussions on there. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing Gen Z also really wants to see is user generated content. That's one of the reasons why I think Gut Talk and TikTok has been so successful for many brands is because, you know, they're not only using celebrities to boost brand, to boost their products, like what you see more on Instagram. They really like seeing real customers that are strategically invited to talk about, you know, I just got this product. This is what I think. 
So brands really need to think about how can they engage with their everyday consumers to make them advocates on these channels, because, you know, these channels enable anyone to put content out there. Mm -hmm. And another hot topic that we always see on TikTok is women's health. Uh, What benefits are women looking for? What did you find in your report? Yeah, so there was a great probiotic discussion on women's health this summer uh, at the conference that you led. Um, And I know thank you. Yes. And I noticed, you know, that had the most engagement in questions, I think, of any panel during the conference, which really shows that people are very interested in this topic. Um, At other conferences, I saw similar things with women's health, that this is really a topic people want to understand more. Um, So first off, I think it's just important for brands to acknowledge that men's products might need to be different than the products for women. We have different biology and different nutrition and health needs. Um, And beyond that, creating a single women's formula really doesn't cut it anymore. Women have vastly different health needs throughout not only their lives, but even during one month, (laughs) their needs Mm -hmm. can shift. Um, So I think one of the things brands really need to do is do a better job of personalizing products. And when you say personalize, like, what do you mean? Are you thinking like tailor products to certain life stages? Exactly. So Women in general are not satisfied with current menstrual health treatment on the market. That's one group. Um, So targeting products specifically for women in this age group to help deal with the symptoms of menstrual health. We're seeing more products like this, such as Flow, um, as a recent supplement brand that has products targeting this. And then another group that's huge and has vast resources is millennial moms. And it's important when you think about maternal health to not just think about it in one bucket, There's a big opportunity for brands to think about fertility and preconception health. Millennial women are having children later in life and have more needs. About four in 10 U.S. adults now say that they've used fertility treatments or personally know someone that has. So giving support during this time. And then also beyond preconception, prenatal health and then postnatal health. Brands really need to be thinking of maternal health more in these stages, not just lumping it into one prenatal supplement. Yeah. I read a lot of the commentary on LinkedIn and TikTok and all that stuff. And I would say that a lot of women, even the moms group on Facebook that I follow, they're talking about menopause. And then the other life stage that you mentioned, you know, fertility. I don't know if it just wasn't talked about before or if it's a lot more common now, but I've got so many friends that are taking fertility products, whether it's IVF or some other means, um, it seems to be such a a huge issue. I could name a handful of friends right now that are are struggling to conceive. Yeah, and I think this is something that the taboo is lifting on talking about. Um, It used Mm -hmm. to be that no one wanted to talk, you know, it was not considered okay to talk about your menstrual health, menopause, or especially fertility. But yeah, I think a lot of the taboos and, you know, whispers about this are ending and people are a lot more open talking about their own journey. And again, you know, women are having kids later, which there's a lot of benefits to do doing that for your children. But but they're also, you know, like anything, there's also drawbacks. It can be harder to conceive when you're older. So there's definitely more fertility support needed for women. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. many of the people on fertility treatments, especially considering how expensive they are, supplement, supplementing them to just increase their chances even a little bit would be really attractive to that group. And then another group that's also seeking more natural solutions is Gen X. Um, Speaking of lifting taboos, 
Gen X is talking about going through menopause in a way that previous generations just didn't. They're really looking for proactive helping aging strategies and are much more open talking about it. You know, hormone replacement therapy is still used by many, but there's a lot of conflicting research in recent years. I think we talked about this at Probiota about its potential links to some health problems. So there are a big segment of Gen X women that are seeking more natural solutions to manage their hormones during menopause. And this is where supplements can really come in and help with the women that are able to manage their symptoms without having to go on hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're we're definitely headed in the right direction. Maybe we could speed things up just a little bit more, but um, I'm just yeah. glad to see that it's the discussion is happening, the research is starting, and people are, are on board with this. Yeah, and I think one of the big barriers to research for this area is most clinical trials like to use men because, mm-hmm. you know, men, they won't get different results throughout the month because their cycle is affecting the results, which when you do a clinical study with women, there is the risk that your results might be influenced by a woman's cycle affecting her results throughout the month. Um, yeah. But that shouldn't mean that we don't do more studies with women. It should just mean that we need to create products that take this into account and better deliver on results throughout the month, taking into um, taking into account that these cycle changes can persist. Yeah, we're complicated, but, you know, you just got to deal with it. This yeah, is not I mean, breaking news yeah. here. <laughs> exactly. Women have been dealing with it for a long time. It just the industry just needs to catch up and also, you know, deal with it instead of just ignoring it. Uh huh. And so another trend uh, probably can be applied to any in all of these categories. Perceived value. Uh, we saw an increase in supplement sales amid the pandemic, but inflation has just made everything more expensive. So where are consumers at right now with purchasing supplements and, and what opportunities did you identify? Yeah, I mean, consumers are definitely feeling inflation, even if our even if the official numbers are showing inflation is slowing, consumers <laughs> are still feeling it on the grocery store and supplement bills. So if mm-hmm. brands want to become a mainstay and for customers to continue purchasing their product, they have to figure out a way to deliver more value. One of the key ways I see doing this is by creating more synergistic and more benefit-packed products. I actually thought of this trend when I was at Costco one day and I saw a protein powder on the market that was just a generic collagen protein powder and sitting right next to it was a brand new collagen product by Orgain that had prebiotics and probiotics. The price difference was not significant, which do you think a consumer is going to choose? They're going to choose the product that has extra gut health benefits, especially if that means they might not have to take their existing probiotic or prebiotic supplement. We need more solutions like this and more multi-packed products. Yeah, because the biggest complaint I think for people is, you know, they've got a whole pillbox full of seven different supplements. And I'm one of the, I am one of those people. I'm I have to admit, but I deal with it. But I understand why some people wouldn't want to do that. It is kind of a pain until we get yeah. more multifunctional offerings out there. That's just that's how it's been for me. So I, I'm used to it. Yeah. And there are some benefits to taking single ingredient products, especially if you're not sure how they're going to affect you initially. You don't want the effect to be masked by the other in- ingredients in the product. But for things that we know most consumers are going to respond well to, like prebiotics and probiotics you know, making multi-benefit products, this is a huge cost savings for customers. Mm-hmm. 
just going back to the creating value, I think there is one other key way to deliver consumers more value, and it's by tapping in to the sustainability-minded consumers and better delivering to them. Um, you know, I mentioned Gen Zs are digital sleuths. In general, consumers are getting smarter when looking for sustainable products. Companies that simply greenwash a product to look more sustainable by using tan-colored recycled packaging, um, <laughs> you know, consumers are realizing that's not really moving the needle in terms of the CSR goals. And same with carbon offsets. A lot of companies, in order to meet their sustainability goals, are simply buying carbon offset credits at the end of the year instead of diving in and really reformulating their products. Um, according to a recent life cycle analysis by the leading firm Planet Forward, recycled packaging has little to no impact on a product's carbon footprint, especially when you compare it to the significant benefits of reformulating a product with more sustainable ingredients. We did some work with Planet Forward and it demonstrated that swapping our prebiotic fiber that's upcycled in a cereal bar with the current used product, um, very popular prebiotic inulin, significantly reduces a product's carbon footprint by as much as 30%. You know, they did the same thing with just swapping recycled PET packaging for the current packaging, and it had no impact on the overall carbon footprint of the product. So companies really need to be thinking more in terms of going back to the drawing board and looking at the ingredients in their product, rather than continuing to make the same product and just trying to hit sustainability at the end with packaging or carbon offsets. If we want to continue to engage with these Gen Zs and have them as customers, this is just going to become all the more important. Okay, I was going to ask now, is this applicable to all age groups or was this more of a Gen Z focused uh, trend that you're seeing? That's hard to say. I think consumers in general are becoming more sustainably minded, but it's definitely top of mind for Gen Z unlike any other generation. Okay. And so we covered the four trends. And then just looking ahead, Hannah, what do you think is next in the areas for, say, product formulation and research? In terms of product formulation, one of the big areas I see is prebiotic blends. So prebiotics, just a quick definition for everyone, they are the substrates and ingredients that help feed the good bacteria in your gut, such as probiotics. There's a big issue with prebiotics and probiotics and postbiotics is that not everyone will respond to an ingredient. There's a non, it's called non-responders in studies. One of the big reasons for this is that we all have a very diverse microbiome. You know, the bacteria in my gut might be different than someone else's. So a prebiotic that really feeds bifidobacteria for me, other people might not have as much bifidobacteria and it won't be as advantageous for them. This is especially true for like strains like acromantia, which not everyone has a lot of. So a good solution to this is creating more prebiotic blends. A lot of research are trying to develop more prebiotic blends that have multiple different fibers and prebiotic sources to really help amplify the diversity of the gut. We also know that Having a more diverse microbiome should be the goal if you're really just targeting one strain and getting it a lot higher. Does that mean some of these other strains that are also healthy are going to have maybe a little downfall? We're not completely sure, but, you know, it's definitely a possibility. So, yeah, just creating more products that target the diversity of the microbiome I see as a really big opportunity moving forward. Another one is in terms of product formulation. It's hard for consumers to create a new habit every day. You know, taking another pill, adding it to their regimen, taking a new supplement drink, adding it to their daily steps 
it's difficult to do long term. A much easier way for consumers to better their health is by adding biotic benefits to the food and drinks and supplements consumers already have in their daily regimen. This is an issue for a lot of biotics products because especially probiotics, because they can't withstand the manufacturing conditions of heat and retort that go into beverages and, you know, or they just make the product not taste good at the end of the day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, product formulators want their product to taste good or they're just too high of cost. This is where we feel our prebiotic is really advantageous because it can be added to any food beverage supplement on the market um, in a cost-effective way without having to reformulate. So if we really want to move the needle and get the 90% of Americans that aren't meeting their dietary fiber needs, we need to meet them where they are and do a better job of creating products that more easily implement into their daily regimen. So so instead, it's just swapping out an existing cookie or snack with something that has more gut health benefits versus having to add that extra beverage or um, pill to their regimen. Yeah, I think overall, most consumers just want that convenience, right? Yeah. And then in terms of research, what I really see is coming next is, you know, as I mentioned with the GLP-1, we just need to better understand all the modes of action and metabolites throughout the body that we can affect through microbiomodulation, which you, you would have asked me two years ago, it probably would have been the same answer, but that's really what we need to be doing a better job of. And also, for every strain that's out there, we need to have more clinical research on that specific strain. ISAP, when they're looking at the prebiotics on the market and how to define what is a prebiotic, I think this is an area that they're going to dig more into this year and help brands figure out how to clinically validate their ingredient. So I see a lot more there on, you know, not all inulin is the same. All prebiotics are a little different, and we need to have research on that specific prebiotic versus using another brand's research or just the general research about that ingredient, because they they can affect the microbiome differently based on the source. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, what's next? Do you guys have any new updates, research, products, et cetera? Yeah. So, you know, I joined Comet when we were still very much a startup. Last year, we had a huge milestone. We built our first dedicated manufacturing facility. And yeah, now we're just moving forward with commercialization. We are looking at, you know, how can we fine tune our manufacturing process to develop even better prebiotics and dietary fibers. So more to come there soon. But yeah. And then also, just like I said, trying to figure out how can we get into more food, beverage, supplement applications that make it make them taste great and make them convenient for consumers. Because as a registered dietitian, it's just it's really important for me to meet consumers where they are and help better their health. Mm-hmm. Lots of exciting stuff going on. Comet's Hannah Ackerman. Thank you so much for taking a deep dive with me into these trends here on the NutriCast. Yes, Danielle, thank you so much for making the time to speak with me. I really enjoyed it. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.